What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rebunked. So this is a fantastic swap cast that I did with the powerful Ricky Verandes over at the Ripple Effect podcast. And, you know, Ricky is just like, I don't know, man. He's one of the good ones. He's one of the real ones. You know what I'm saying? You know, I try to emulate what he does in a lot of ways because when I first started doing this show, man, or when I first started doing Truthzilla, he was one of the folks that was just so kind and compassionate to a brand new tiny little pesky little show you know what i mean like he, he was one of our first guests on the whole show like god i'm trying to think no a guy named sean was uh was the first guest i think ricky was like second or third after that something like that but anyway um you know he's just been so supportive over the years and then like invited us into the inner circle with the union of the unwanted and that really just kind of broke through to the next level where we were able to start networking with other people and like literally i wouldn't be the person I am today and be where I'm at today without Ricky Veranda. So I just have an eternal amount of respect and gratitude to him. And I also try to emulate that, you know, whenever, whenever a show tries to reach out, I try to try to make accommodations and, and any of the shows that are listening now that maybe slipped through the cracks over the last couple of years, like let's set up a show, you know, I'm going to make it a commitment to reach out back to some of you folks and do it just because, you know, with Truezilla, there was three of us and we were, had these competing schedules. And it was so hard to like find time to do shows but um now i'm finding one of the benefits of, of being solo now is that like i can just bust out shows man like any time a day let's just do it you know what i'm saying like if, if i don't have to work like let's just do it let's do an episode so you know as my commitment is to try to rededicate myself to the philosophy that ricky brings to podcasting in general so this is a fantastic episode um it, it's it's you know it's always great uh here hearing Ricky's perspective on things. I really appreciate his take and his, um, you know, the fact that he just, he's just such a nice guy, man. And it's so cool. But also, uh, eventually the, the conversation gets, uh, gets a little dark, gets a little heavy. And, you know, he, he asked me some questions about my personal journey in recovery. And so, you know, hopefully some of you can, can take something out of it. You know what I mean? Like I know not everybody that listens to the show is, is in recovery or identifies with that, but I feel like maybe there's some usefulness in it in that, you know, I'm sure all of us know somebody who's at least been touched by addiction. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I share my story pretty candidly. And, and so, and it's pretty, uh, like at first I was like, Ooh, geez, are we really going to go here? But I've shared my story many, many times over the years, like in, uh, you know, in like a meeting type setting, you know, when I've been asked to speak and share my story, my experience, strength, and hope, as we call it. Um, I've been asked to do that before. And so it's not something that I'm afraid of doing, you know what I mean? But this is a different venue, different platform. Like not everybody's coming at it from the same perspective. And, uh, you know, there may be some judgments, but it's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I feel like, like in this day and age in the world that we live in and the society that we live in, I feel like, um, the stigma that was maybe once around people with addiction is kind of lifted and, and it's a badge of honor to have maybe, you know, gone down that road and then found yourself, um, you know, on the other side of it and, uh, trying to put more positivity in the world than you're taking out. So just a fair warning, like it does get a little recovery intense towards the end, but, uh, you know, I think that like there's some good spiritual lessons to be extracted from it, no matter who you are, you know? So it's a great conversation and, uh, I'm just again, grateful for Ricky, 
you know, and then also being willing to platform me and put this episode out on his end. It really means a lot. Um, and so, yeah, for those of you that uh, maybe just be trickling back in that didn't even realize I had a new show, you know, welcome back. You know, we're, we're, we're kicking ass over here at Rebunked. And if you want to make sure that you're following the show on all the different various platforms and social media, the website is rebunked.news. So head over to rebunk.news and you'll see at the bottom, um, well, about halfway down, there's all the different uh, social media platforms you can follow us on. The one I've been shouting out that you need to get into in order to stay up to date on the show is uh, Telegram, t.me forward slash rebunked pod. Um, I'm going to be doing more live streams. And so if you want to like get the drop on when I'm going to be going live, uh, I would say be in Telegram because it, you know, I'll post on Instagram too, but if you're only following me on like Instagram or Twitter, like you're probably not going to see the notifications. So the best way to get like direct downloads from me to stay current on the show, um, I'm dropping like memes and articles and all kinds of fun stuff. And to get involved with the conversation, there's a lot of back and forth. Like you can comment on each one of the posts. And then I generally try to make a habit of going in and interacting with everybody that, that, um, you know, makes a comment. So uh, uh, t.me forward slash rebunk pod is the telegram. Um, if you guys want to support the show, if you find any value out of the show, you should support it. You know what I mean? Like, like, that's just like, this is like, that's what, that's the society that we're trying to cultivate in this world is we're trying to cultivate a society of like, you know, if I give you value, you give me value. If I get value from you, I return that value. And there's a lot of content supporter, like content creators that I personally support. Um, and so, uh, and Ricky Verandas being one of them. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, like people whose content and work I value, I support financially, you know, not everyone's in a position to do that. And that's totally cool, man. That's totally cool. But if you are, you know, you should support the show. And, uh, the way to do that is just go to rebunk pod, uh, excuse me, rebunk.news and all the way down at the bottom is various different ways to do like value for value donations. But also for five bucks a month, you could hop on the subscribe star and, uh, subscribe forward slash rebunked. Um, I'm going to be just posting all kinds of little bonus rants and just quick takes on things. And I'm going to be giving lots of like, you know, special offers just for subscribe star people. Um, so, uh, subscribe forward slash rebunked, um, is a great place to also support the show. Finally, if you want to support the show and do something for your health, you can head over to truthtrs.com. So at truthtrs, um, they have this uh, heavy metal detox spray. It's called TRS, Toxin Removal Support. It's this odorless, tasteless, clear zeolite spray. You do five sprays a day. I think it's like three in the morning, two at night. And uh, what happens is it's this um, negatively charged, I believe it's negatively charged, <laughs> I believe it's negatively charged. And what it does is it comes into your body. It's like a little cage, right? These little, we got a picture of these molecules as like little cages and they go into your body and they're smaller. They're like the, they're smaller. They're so small that they pass through your blood brain, brain barrier, which is a good thing because then it goes into your brain. It absorbs all the heavy, the positively charged heavy metals and other ions that are, you know, destructive and damaging that don't belong there and they absorb them and then they flush it flushes out of your body. So it absorbs them, neutralizes them, and then flushes them out of the body. So uh, basically what it does is just like little little warriors that are going into your body and absorbing all the heavy metals and all the crap that's been accumulating in your body from like the, 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 the spraying, the chemicals in the sky, and the chemicals in the water, and the roundup in the food, and all the crap that we are just saturated with on a daily basis. TRS is such a great product for getting all that flushed out of your system. And it's great for pets. It's great for kids. You know, go to go to their Instagram page. You'll see all kinds of testimonials, you know, at TrueTRS on Instagram. You know, they're always dropping memes and, uh, you know, testimonials. So definitely go check them out. Give them a follow over on TrueTRS on Instagram. And I just can't say enough positive things about the product. So... All right. Uh, also, you guys, if you if you also like the show and you don't and, and aren't able to support it financially, like tell folks about it. Like, let's get the word about out about this show. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're cranking. 
we're, we're kicking ass. And I feel like there's a lot of value to the show that, that other people maybe are missing out on if they don't real they don't realize that, uh, you know, Scott left Truezilla and, oh, hey, he's got this new show. You know what I'm saying? So go spread the word. If you can, leave a five-star review on, like, iTunes or Spotify. And, uh, yeah, let's just keep this train chugging. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for being in with me. I know that was a little extra long intro, so I appreciate you hanging out with me. But without further ado... Here's Mr. Ricky Verendez. Awesome. Well, well uh, it's nice to hook up. You got a new project, right? Which is a <laughs> new project, man. New project. Pretty wow. excited about it. It's been going great, man. Like, um, I mean, obviously, we could talk about Truzilla and all that a little bit, but uh, just really excited to be, you know, just with this new project. It's uh, it's all good things. Yeah. Well, one thing I've always loved about you uh, specifically is the fact that you've always seemed very motivated. Like, you always seem like you really cared about doing something and having an impact and that's like the 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 common thing that we all have like the people who one the people who i think succeed in regards to just having a show that people enjoy and like and uh because one you put in the work you you know you it's almost because i I don't know uh, i don't want to put words in your mouth but for me it's like you become obsessive compulsive about you're like wanting to get the stuff out there and then you always you're always looking for like the best guests the best conversations what's the most important conversations to share with the people and um and you almost become obsessed with this whole project of doing something and a little bit is probably selfish because it's rewarding you know after having what you feel like is an important conversation and you put it out to the world, you're like, somebody's going to benefit from this. I benefited from having the conversation. Hopefully the guests benefited in, in sharing that journey uh, with me and having that conversation with me. But I know listeners are probably going to enjoy it too and, and benefit from it. So you, you feel like you're doing something. And there's always, you know, I mean, life's a, a journey. You know, it's a, it's a journey about finding fulfillment. I mean, we're, you know, to, to quote Joe Rogan, you know, we're pleasure monkeys and we're constantly looking for stuff that, makes us happy fulfilled and um and when you find a passion project that that can do that and you can tap into that i mean there's there's nothing better oh absolutely absolutely i can totally relate to that you know it's just like this um just hunger and desire to like okay so we reach that plateau what's next and we reach that plateau what's next you know what i mean uh in 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 the interest of bringing the best information and the best guests and that sort of stuff you know um and then like what you were saying just the impact and and i've seen it firsthand you know i've got to meet so many of these folks like we did like a little freedom festival up here in oregon last year and like there was some like this one uh this one gal um catherine give her a big shout out here um i was up like we were like hauling wood for the fire or something like that and i was like driving a tractor and like yelling and she walks up to me she's like are you scott from truthzilla and i was like yeah she's like I recognize your voice. I know I don't, I've never seen your videos, but I just recognize, I'm like, well, that's such a trip. So anyway, but, but they've been huge contributors and stuff too. But then also while I was at that, uh, well, I was actually, that was a different festival, but anyway, it's like this whole freedom community now, you know what I mean? That's kind of born out of this whole mess that we've been in the last couple of years. But another guy, Nate from the show, reality czars came up to me and said that because of our show, because of Truthzilla, he decided that they weren't going to vaccinate his kid. And I was like, what? That's insane. And, uh, yeah, and I'm making plans to go up to Portland and actually visit the new kid, too. So that's pretty cool stuff right there. I mean, you can't, like, that right there just made it all worth it, all worth it, just that right there, you know. Yeah, well, the the thing is, we, we don't really know uh, who we're touching, you know. Yeah. We know. I mean, sometimes I'll get a message from a listener 
who's been listening to the show for years. I mean, they'll reference some show like, oh, I, I, you know, I started listening to you when you did your JFK show with uh, Abraham Bolden or whoever. And it's like, wow, you've been listening to the show forever. And they'll send me a message and I'll be like this person, you know, I've been connecting with this person, you know, indirectly for years. Like they've been getting something out of the show. They've never told me, mm-hmm. but like I'm impacting people like them you know, over and over again without even knowing because not everybody will reach out and tell you about it. So it's always nice when people, when they do, um, it, it's nice to get that feedback because every time you do, it's like you get like a little jolt of energy. You get a little extra jolt of motivation to, to do what you're doing. Cause even though it is easy in, in this, in some sense of like doing this because I enjoy it. And I, I've always been a people's person. I, if if you lived in my neck of the woods, we'd probably be friends without a doubt because I, I love connecting with people. I, it's like, oh, we got this in common. Oh, that's cool. Let's hang out, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, any uh, anytime I find somebody who who's cool, I, I try to, like, bring them in the group and hang out and, and kind of make them a part of the clique because I know that there's a lot of shitheads out there. So when you find somebody who's cool, who, who can fit in the group, regardless the background or whatever. I mean, if my group of friends, I got Polish friends, I you know, right off the boat, Polish. Polish friends. I got friends uh, from Lebanon. I got friends from El Salvador. I got friends from all over the world. And, um, and it's like, we all have a couple, like something in common, you know, but the one thing we all really have in common is they're all sincere people. Like we are, we're all like solid. You meet them and you're like, okay, maybe you're from a neck of the woods. You're from some part of the world that I'm not too familiar with, but I'm curious about your culture. And, um, and you seem like a really good person. And to me, like, that's the first step. And, a lot of times when, when I gather all these people together, one thing that is interesting is how curious people are with each other's cultures. And it's like so often like culture and and nationalities or where you're from becomes a way of separating people. But a lot of times you get just good people together. They're actually quite curious about other people's cultures and fascinated. And and you and you realize like they all have beautiful things about them. And um, but yeah, so it's it's uh, you know, our community is just. I, I love our community. I, I love it's it's almost like my personal life. Like there's so many cool people that I know would be in my my circle if they you know lived nearby, and uh, and you know this to to be able to I'm way off track. I'm like, what the fuck did I start talking about? <laughs> no, it's great, man. This I'm is great. I mean, this is really this is what it's all about right here. I mean, the world is such a beautiful, fascinating place of just like all these different cultures and stuff. You know what I mean? And we can learn from each other. And and in fact, like that's what we're seeing in the world. I think is the top-down control to keep us as divided as possible and to keep us othering each other as much as possible to the point where we can't bridge that divide based on whatever it is they're trying to divide us over. And that is their control mechanism. So the more that we can have, like, conversations with people that maybe think differently than us, and, and we're starting to see that, you know? Like, I, I've had conversations with people that don't think the same as me, you know, on the issues that are the most divisive these days. And, and, and it's starting, like, like, now there's just, like, little... Little tendons are starting to connect just a little bit, not, not quite. Like, there's still obviously some, you know, pushback, but I feel like the overall consciousness of humanity is, like, raising up. As the craziness is raising up, also, I feel like it's almost permissible to have conversations. And I, it's, like, like on their end, like, the, the people that have been indoctrinated this whole time, like, I think something clicked in the last few, like, month or so, a couple months, where it's all of a sudden they have permission to start maybe questioning these things a little bit. And they're starting to see... The veil being lifted and all the the harder the insanity gets pushed, the more they're like, wait a minute, mm, eh, something's not right here. So, and we're here, we're waiting, we're ready for them. 
Well, that's that's an important point because we have to keep waking people up and we have to keep mm-hmm. fighting. I mean, I, I've been doing shows on on the medical industry and, and yep. health and nutrition for a long yep. time, and it's always been an issue. But and it always seemed like a concerning issue. Like this is this is a huge topic. This is a huge issue. It, more people should be concerned about it. And not until like 2020 did like the whole world become. Um, just concerned about like, okay, how scientific is the science that they're telling us scientific? Uh, these experts, how much of them, how, how many of them actually have other motives on why they push certain things and suppress other things? And you're starting to see people open up to that. But it, it, it's always concerning when people get busy again and people get mm-hmm. uh, some aspect of their lives back because that's kind of what happened before. It's like people became... It's almost like if you go through a bad breakup, right? Like a, a unoccupied mind's your worst your worst enemy because you just keep thinking about the trauma. You think keep thinking about what happened or what went wrong. But if you if you stay busy, you can kind of get over the trauma. And the, it, like the trauma of twenty twenty, I feel like because people are getting busy again, like they're forgetting everything that happened. I remember driving around. I was just thinking about this recently. Because the weather in, in New England's like finally getting a little nicer, and it was like a nice day out, and I'm driving from I don't know from the gym or the basketball or something. I was driving around, and I remember seeing kids at the park playing basketball, and I remember um, seeing like just cars on the road, and it's been like this for a while, but like it just hit me, like I, I had like this flashback of like 2020 driving by that same park, driving down those same roads, and there was nobody anywhere, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like when the fuck are things going to look normal again? Like, I remember just thinking, like, I, I don't know when I'm not going to see masks. I don't know when I'm going to see parks filled again. Like, it was such a surreal time to live through. And it's like a lot of people just are ready to move on from it. And I, I get it because it is one of those things where when you go through some type of trauma, when you go through, like, a really difficult part of it, your life, it's it's e- easier to kind of forget about it and move on um, and... and then like keep revisiting that but the reason why we have to keep revisiting it to extent is we have to keep well maybe not revisiting but keep reminding ourselves that it can happen again if we don't hold people accountable it can happen again if we don't have a little bit of of maybe anger towards what happened to the point where it's like okay we're if this shit happens again I'm, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to trust them. They're 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 guilty until proven innocent. I'm not, you know, I'm they're they're liars until proven that they're uh, telling the truth. And I, I have zero trust in the media. I have zero trust in, in what the establishment calls experts. And um and uh, you know and I hope that people think like that because I it is a little concerning when people just think like because they can go out to eat again or because they don't have to wear masks again that like whoever ruined their lives for a couple of years are gone and they're not doing any more harm to the world. And it's like, I don't know, the media is still lying to you. There's still agendas being pushed. There's still infrastructure for, you know, the great reset, the fourth industrial revolution, whatever term you want to use. Um, and, and we're taking baby steps. You know, it might not be as obvious because you, you can occupy your time and yourself with these other things now, but we have to, you know, we have to stay alert and, you know, alternative media has been around forever, but a lot of people didn't even know it existed or thought the things we were complaining about had no reflection on reality or had no effect on their lives until it did. Mm-hmm. And 
that's why I always say hats go off. My hat goes off to people, you know, like yourself. You were on the front lines. You know, uh, um, you're vocal. You're putting out important shows. You're having important conversations. You didn't stray away from confrontation and 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 or, or at least controversial topics. And uh, you know, Ryan from Last American Vagabond, yeah. James Corbett, Del Big Tree, uh, Jason Burmes, um, all the doctors that just did amazing work. I mean, it'd be really, really easy to be like, let me just hide in the bunker and wait till this all blows over. And, and, and you can just kind of be like, okay, somebody else will do the fighting for me. Mm-hmm. Somebody else will, will do the, the truth seeking and the, the corruption exposing for me. But, uh, but we didn't do that. Like, you know, we, we were like, no, we, we're going to we're going to be vocal. We're going to be proactive. And it it doesn't I know it's hard to believe that shows, you know, as, as small as mine or yours, like had an impact. But I'm telling you, they we had an impact because the reason why and I keep saying this, the reason why Robert Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough end up being on Rogan's podcast was because and the reason why Rogan knew their names mm-hmm was because he, they were doing shows like yours and shows like mine, or even the shows that they weren't on, their work was being referenced over and over and over again. We were circulating their uh, their names. That We were making their names and their work household names to the point where you couldn't ignore it anymore, and eventually they ended up being on the biggest podcast in the world. So we all contributed to that. And, um, you know, that's, that's why I, I just, I hope people listening, uh, they, they support alternative media they support these platforms that give us a spot to uh to to you know have these conversations because i mean the the youtube censorship and and all that stuff obviously was uh was a huge hit it it made it much harder to to get information out there because you the average person who would typically go to youtube to look for information couldn't find any alternative perspectives but it also opened the door to these other platforms and you know, like I always say, when one door closes, another one opens. And I think, uh, similar to your your new sh- your new show, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and so you know, I think it, in the long run, it might be beneficial because now we're on platforms where we don't have to self censor at all. Because even totally. before you, you knew with YouTube, you had to play that stupid game. I think I heard you on like a, a, a podcast. I forget which who you're interviewing. Where you're like. You know, I'm not on YouTube yet. I'm not playing that game. You know, and I'm oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, like, I put I put up two episodes, and then they took. So I, Ryan with Last American Vagabond, that was my first episode of the new show. That one's still there, ironically. And Ryan's like one of the most censored people out there. And then I uploaded episode two with Sam Tripoli, and all we were talking about was like recovery. Really, they took that one down. So I was like, okay, YouTube, I'm just I'm not even playing games. So my goal is to like I'm gonna upload like with the thumbnail and the episode description and then just do like a quick little thing and say hey guys get over to the other platforms to watch the show or listen to the show but I haven't quite got there yet it's just too busy yeah. but but yeah, yeah man it's yeah the censorship man like I'm grateful that we have these platforms like Rockfin big shouts out to Rockfin man like behind the scenes they're so helpful and just like yep come on in here you go pretty cool um, and I I think their their perspective changed uh, slightly too because when I fir- when they first contacted me and they were trying to get some people from the alternative media community, I think they found like a hole in the market. And Martin's really intelligent. I mean, mm. the way his brain works, you could tell like this is the type of guy that whatever business he chases uh, or gets involved in, he'll he'll do well because he has such a um, 
like a, a, a business savvy, like approach to things. And he's really intelligent and like looking at things from outside the box. But I'm like, I don't know if their motives were to get truth out, you know? So yeah. I was always a little skeptical about like, okay, like, is this just a money grab, you know? But, and then when the shit hits the fan, the fact that they didn't censor anybody, mm-hmm. they gave, um, you know, people like Jason Burmis and, uh, and other people who, who were kind of making a, a killing on video platforms like YouTube. Um, and then they, you know, obviously were concerned about losing their salary. And then they, so they gave me a alternative at Rockfin and they backed them up. They helped them. Um, they helped all these other content creators. They never censored anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, I even started seeing a Rockfin like tweet or people who work at Rockfin, like retweet things that mm-hmm. were like, you know, uh, we would re- retweet. It would be things about like that was like uh, skeptical of the the experts or what was going on. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm like, I think they're coming along. I'm like, I think, I think they they didn't they weren't really. Uh, I I think many of them, even with Martin, like he was really into like starting his business and 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 doing all this stuff, uh, a tech guy and crypto. But he didn't really dive deep into the alternative media world. And I think that taking on all these perspectives and kind of um, observing some of our work kind of opened his mind to it. And and I think Rockfin has become even more important than they even know, you know, yeah. in regards to just getting that information out there at such a crucial time because people were looking for a place to, to, to find this information and to have a spot where you could say, Hey, it's on Rockfin and I never have to worry about it being deleted, like sending them the link and the link not working or whatever. And then also putting a face to the people, you know, it, it's having a, knowing the people behind the scenes and knowing the people who, who work there and, and the fact that you you can talk to them and you can have, I'm like, to me, that, that was just awesome. It gave me a, a sense of, of security that like, okay, I feel safe here. Like if I put my content here, if I'm telling people to go to Rockfin, I, I now feel comfortable supporting the platform. And, uh, and at first I wasn't, I wasn't like that. Cause I'm like, wait, they came from like, uh, it was, it was called flow. Flow Sports, which, yeah, he came from Flow Sports. That was like his first venture, uh, uh, business venture with his brother, I believe. And then they separated and then he started his own uh, business. And it, it seemed like a lot of like uh, wrestling and, and sports oriented stuff. And then it just seemed like he, he I mean, they were smart because they realized like, OK, well, if there's all these people being censored on YouTube, where are they going? Why not? bring them over because they're looking for a home and a lot of these people have huge platforms on on youtube or, or huge followings so uh so at first like i said i was a little skeptical but then i think they came around and, and that, during 2020 couldn't be a better time to have that option of a rock fin mm-hmm. and jeremy at odyssey who who truly believes in you know libertarian perspectives and free speech and all that stuff and i don't, I don't know much about the bitchu guys or some of the other platforms but float for example another one you know totally um, you know, awesome guy, awesome company, awesome people working there. They truly believe in free speech. So it's, um, you know, these, how many of these platforms would be household names? I mean, the no agenda shows bringing up rumble and bit shoot and stuff yeah. like that. Rogan's brought up rumble, uh, a, a few times. I've, I've been censored on rumble. I got a video taken down off rumble. Really? Yeah, man. Like back. So we did back in like, uh, January, 2021, we made a little video about like the 10 stages of genocide. Right. Um, like a little mini documentary about our uh, thoughts that, and at the time, like this was like, you know, before even Biden got into office, it was after the election. And so we were thinking, we were kind of extrapolating that the 10 stage of genocide were going to mean they're going to round up all the Trump supporters. This is even before like anti-vaxxer became like the huge thing that it became, you know what I mean? Uh, and we're, you know, our, our theory was that they were going to round us all up in boxcars and throw us in a freaking whatever, you know what I mean? But uh, so it's kind of funny watching, going back and watching it now, but yeah, Rumpel took it down. They said that there was, 
violent, too much violence in it. Right. And so, you know, we were showing some footage of like Rwanda, uh, you know, but it wasn't like any sort of like extreme violence, but yeah, yeah. We've had a video taken down off rumble. I thought that was really crazy. And I even, even, and the funny thing is, is that that video is still to this day on YouTube. And I emailed the guy or the, whoever it was, I shouldn't assume gender, right? I, the person at rumble. And I said, Hey, you realize this video that you just censored is still on YouTube, right? You really want to be that? You really want to be like that? And they're like, I'm, I'm, we're so sorry. It goes against our policy. I'm like, all right, dude. Well, I'm just going to go and tell everybody that you guys censored me. Now, I'm on Rumble. Like, granted, I don't really advertise it. And BitChute just did their this thing where you have to, like, pay now to upload videos higher than two gigabytes. So now I have to, like, go back and reformat the video to upload to BitChute. And so I'm a little behind there. But anyway, you know, it's all good. I know that. I, I know that, yeah. Well, Matt takes care of a lot of that yeah. stuff. So he he, yep. he helps out a lot. But, yeah, well, that's concerning if they, if they are censoring. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. if I mean, it's weird that they're not censoring any of the, like, anti, anything that's anti-vaccine, but yet they're censoring imagery like that, which yeah. is kind of weird. I uh, mean, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. And I've, and I've heard, public gosh, company. who was it? I heard him interviewed on some show, and it was just kind of like, it was a little, I was like, hmm, like, are we just setting up the same paradigm as youtube it's just like they're just gonna and that's what i'm hearing too with like platforms like getter or i got i heard rumors about like truth social like they're just they're just censoring the opposite side now now they're just censoring like liberals or something like i don't know dude I, something. I, i'm a big believer just going on every platform like you know yeah. what i'm just gonna go on every platform and that way yeah. if one kicks me off i don't care i'll just i'm yeah. still on you know I'm, I'm on the other one so that way uh you know uh to me, it's like to be on a platform. It's not. It doesn't necessarily mean you're supporting the platform or what they believe in. If yeah. they believe in something, it's it's more just like okay, I'm just gonna. It's a tool that I can use to get these conversations out there and this information out there, and maybe expose my show to some uh, new audience. And that's it. You know, I, I'm on Band Video. I, I have, is your new show on Band Video yet? No. So like that was, that's the things. Like I just, I want to have. I don't want to just like email Rob and be like. Like, just feel like I just deserve a channel on Bandai Video, you know what I mean? It's like, that it just that doesn't work like that. And so, you know, I figure, like, I want to build, like, this body of work. You know, there's all these, I want to do all these cool things. Like, I've got little mini documentaries I want to make. I want to do some man-on-the-street stuff. I kind of build something worthy of that platform, you know what I mean? I'm not, like, just going to be, like, feel like I'm entitled to it, you know what I mean? Like, Well, you were a big part of Truthzilla. I think uh, a lot of the, the backbone behind, I mean, I'm assuming here, but I'm assuming, I could just tell by... Uh, I mean, one year musician, so uh, we we have that in common. And yep, usually, yep. usually, musicians ha- are, are very artistic. They love being creative, and uh, so I have uh, I have a a just I'm taking a guess here, but I, I'm assuming you were a big part of the creative part of, of that team. We, and- we, you know, we the creativity part we did share a lot of that. Like that was, and in fact, that was that was the thing is that it was a very uh, democratic thing. Like it was either we're all in or we're all out. You know what I mean? And it was like. You know, the artistic side of it, you know, we collaborated and that was very much. But as far as, far as like the technical stuff, I did take on a lot of that burden, I think primarily because others yeah. were, you know, they've got kids and family. And I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't have any of that. So I kind of took it on, you know what I mean? But have you told the story on, on what happened yet? Yeah, or? I talked about it on a false, the false reality check episode I did a little bit ago. But just to mention it for, because I know there's a lot of overlap between your audience and, and Truzo and all that. So just to kind of just put it out there, like, uh. What I've been saying is just really, you know, the, the band broke up, man. You know what I mean? We've all had, like, our band, our favorite band, and then you hear, like, oh, they're breaking up. That's crazy. You know what I mean? Um, reach, basically reached a point where it was, like, we couldn't move forward because we had different visions about what was to come next. And it was either we just 
and and that was that was pretty much the the dissolution of it, the the dissolving of it, right? And uh, but I couldn't just sit back and keep my mouth shut and just fade off into the sunset. Like, man, I had to do something, so I said, I just launched this new show. I'm like, you know, it sucks, and it's sad, and it's like. In fact, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to glance over that piece of it. You know, you were talking about like going through a bad breakup, man. Like that felt like, like any breakup I've ever had was like nothing compared to this, man. I was like in a dark place for a couple of weeks. I was like, oh my God. It was like, you know, when you like, like literally like attached every, like that was like I who I was, you know what I mean? Like I had attached my identity so much to that. Like I was that person. Like I, I couldn't envision, like I built this thing up to where it's like, I, now I don't envision who I am without that. And that was like, it's a very earth shattering place to be, you know? Um, and just like walking away from a platform on band on video. Like that's, that's one of those things that's like, people say I achieved my dreams. Well, that's something that I never even thought to even dream of. It's like, you just surpassed whatever your dreams were like being on that platform, dude. Like that's insane. You know what I mean? Like that's like, man. And so like having to just put it all aside and knowing that it's for the best, you know, because, like, where we were at, it just wasn't sustainable necessarily. And the thing is, is, like, I have so much respect and appreciation for Ed and Megan and, and what we were able to accomplish. Um, and the body of work itself stands, and I'm super proud of every single damn thing that we did. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, we just weren't able to get past where we were at. And, uh, and it, was just, it, was just, it was just inevitable, really. And... Uh, my understanding is that they're going to keep the show going, and I hope they do. If they're listening to this, I really hope you guys do, um, you know, just for the sake of it. But pretty much, I, you know, I left them with the whole franchise and just said, all right, I'm going to go off and do my own thing then. So, Well, the, but the pros and cons of that is because I, I had a co-host when I started this show, yep. and being in uh, a band also growing up and, and being in music and, and being around other bands, it's, it's hard to do things on your own. But at least your destiny is in your own hands. You know, it's like if you fail or you succeed, it's all because of the work you do or don't put in. And you don't have to worry about anybody else's vision. You don't have to worry about anybody else's uh, input. And not to, to say like there is, uh, you know, a, a, a wisdom in crowds, right? Like if you get you get a group of people and we, we brainstorm something, there's a, a potential that we might come up with a better idea together and um, and we'll bounce ideas off each other. But it's not sustainable in, in some cases because when you're doing a podcast, especially when you're bringing on guests, and I'm sure you probably went through this with Truthzilla, is it was hard to book people around everybody's schedule, mm -hmm. right? Because it was like when, when I had my co-host, it was like his schedule was different than my schedule. Then I had uh, guests that I'm trying to get on. And then so it's like it had a, you know, the guests had a, pick a find a time that worked for me and my co and it just it, be, it did become hard and it's like, yeah. like wow man i could just pop these out way quicker and become less of a headache and then you know my co-host dave he's still one of my best friends i love the guy to death but he used to drive me crazy because sometimes we would book i would work my ass off to get a day and time that worked for all of us and then the last second he couldn't make it and i'm like i'm like i could have fucking had this person on the on the show last month but i'm like i've I postponed it to find a perfect day and time to work for all of us and then at the last second you can't make you, you don't end up making it and so and then it just felt like he had one foot in one foot out like he wasn't as committed as maybe i was and um and then you know 
it just got to a point where I'm just like, you know what? I And it wasn't even me. I actually wanted him to continue uh, joining the show, and I, I was willing to work with him. But once he, he decides, he's like, listen, it's like, who wants to listen to me talk when you're having all these great guests on? And and I'm like, yeah, but you still have incredible uh, perspective and, and our shows, uh, our solo shows people enjoy. I'm like, you don't have to have a, a huge resume to have huge ideas and interesting ideas. So, um, but when, when, he, when he left, it was the same thing where it's like at first I, I had a little bit of anxiety because I'm like, I'm not used to doing this by myself and uh um, my co-host dave I, he's like one of the smartest people in uh, you know one of my smartest people i know and i know if i have somebody really intelligent on and i struggle he can hold the conversation for me did you hear that hiss is it coming on your side yeah no? i hear i just heard something it's gone now weird oh now i don't hear anything from you it's this microphone. Okay. Oh, it went yeah. away. Jesus. Every once in a while, I have to figure out what the hell it is that's causing that. Uh, but he's one of the, the smartest people I know. So because of that, like I felt comfortable where if I maybe struggled to, to come up with a really creative question for a guest, he might bring something really interesting to the conversation. So it, it, I did. I remember being like, the, I forget who was my first guest solo, but I remember being like just having anxiety just feeling like oh my god can i do this i'm like D- dave went to college he has you know he he took philosophy he 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 has this amazing career he's older than me he has all this wisdom i'm like what am i going to bring to the table and, and so it, it was uh it was a little scary but then after a while you're like okay maybe maybe it was a good thing because as a artist and people who like to do creative things like us sometimes it's nice to have the freedom of just taking things where you want to take them without any resistance. And it's like, you know what? I think this is a good idea. If it fails, it's on me. And, but at least I can, I can give it a try. And at least I can, I can take this idea and, and really give it the attention and nurturing and, and really see where it can go on my own. And if it doesn't work, then you know what? It's on me. You know, that's the thing about building anything is like you're going to have tons of failures tons of things that don't work and then eventually you'll find that thing that does work and and that's kind of just a, that's kind of the whole thing i mean i know you talked about richard gage you you talked to him recently i also mm-hmm. talked uh, recently uh, i was kind of uh, busting his balls about like how different is it being the one who's doing the interview compared to the one uh, usually um you know being asked the questions and he was honest he's he says he's struggling and it's hard and it's he's used to kind of being asked the question and to mm-hmm. be able to hold a conversation with somebody it seems like something you anybody could do but it's not always the case especially when you're having a lot of guests on that have different personalities a lot of guests on that Maybe some of them you can just ask one question and and they can rant for an hour, um, you know, kind of like myself. But yeah, that's why I didn't prepare for this interview at all. I'm just like I'm just gonna go. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> some some guests like need a little bit of pushing, right? You need to like kind of, um, you know, you ask them. There's been times I don't know if this has happened with you where you like you'll talk to somebody and you feel like you ask the question that will take you to a really interesting spot, and then they'll give you a really short answer. Yep. Oh yeah, all the time. I'm like, wait, I, I wasn't prepared for another to, to ask. Exactly. Another. I was hoping this question was going to like 
you know, catapult us to, to the next, yep. you know, next uh, ver- uh, next part of this conversation and and really get us deep into something. So there's times where I'm just like, wait, wait, you're, that was it? That was your answer? I'm like, no, I wasn't ready. You know, it's a, it's so funny. It's it's not. It seems like you just hit record. You should just act normal, right? You should just act mm-hmm. the way you act with your buddies. And it's like, no, man. Once you know you're being recorded. It's like it's it it sits there in your subconscious and it has an effect on how casual you are or whatever. That's why I love shows like like these, like people like yourself who I've interacted a lot mm-hmm. with throughout the years and I'm comfortable talking to. I feel like it's really easy to get in that comfort zone. But then certain people, it like it takes a little bit of time. It's like, okay, maybe only 30 minutes in do I feel like um it's a casual conversation. Sometimes like the the first uh, the first 30 minutes, maybe the first 45 minutes feels like a interview. And then you get to that point where it feels like a conversation and that's like the sweet spot. That's where I constantly want to like dwell and and hang out. And because um, to me, that's where like, you just don't know where, where it's going, you know, and, and what's going to happen. So it's, it's awesome. I heard uh, also on one of your podcasts that you're, you're moving, right? You're moving East coast. Yeah, man. Well, I'm moving East eastward. So um, yeah, moving to Tennessee, man, getting out of this state, man done it's so yeah it's a whole thing man i'm super excited so right now i'm working uh so i've been grateful for this job that kind of after i had the whole falling out with the counseling thing because of the vax mandate um this company i used to work for it's a local uh countertop fabrication shop they scooped me back up and like right now working like six days a week like 10 hours a day just doing like massive production so i'm just stacking overtime and uh so it's very, very like uh, you know synchronistic that this is all coming together. I've already put my notice in, so April seventh is my last day, and then I'm living with this guy right now. Um, he's kind of like this inventor type, kind of like eccentric inventor type, and he's got all these different projects. And we're, we're developing this off-grid heating system um, using rocket stove technology. Which so then I'm going to spend two weeks with him, and we're going to make a little documentary. We're going to do some illustrations for a book, and uh, put that out to the world. So more will be revealed with that. Um, and then I'm hitting the road, and uh, the plan is is so April 22nd, somewhere around there. I just got a new truck too. Got a new truck for the trip, so I'm just gonna basically put everything I own into it, and then phew, head out. Um, I may stop down in Vegas. I guess Steve was from Slow News Day. They've got a new studio there. I'm gonna like pop in, say hey to them. That's kind of part of the plan, and then uh, go down to Float Fest. So I'm going to Float Fest to hang with the big boys <laughs> down in Texas, which is the last weekend of. April and then into May and then yeah I'm super excited about that and then pretty much just going sight unseen to uh to Tennessee and uh I mean looking at all the different free states um obviously I was looking at like Florida Texas uh even Oklahoma and uh really one of the bigger factors for me was the fact that uh so, so I'm a certified drug and alcohol counselor that's something that I have a lot of passion for a lot of passion for doing and um you know, that career is just not available to me here in Oregon anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, from my understanding is even now they're still, um, requiring the vaccine. And so I'm just like, you know what, whatever, like I was let go over it. And then I've applied at other agencies throughout the state and it always gets to that. I mean, I basically for lack of like just all but getting a job offer. And then they ask about the vaccine and then it's like, ah, no, not, not doing it. And then I never hear back from them. So all these other free states, like like Florida, Texas, even Oklahoma, I believe, like they all require like a bachelor's degree. I think Florida, you have to have an associate's degree. And I don't. I just have like here in Oregon, you just need this certification, which is like, you know, here you have to do all these classes and then like 2,000 like, or 1,000 hours on the job. 
whatever, you know what I mean? And so, but Tennessee doesn't, they don't require a degree. So I could basically take what I have, I think, and pretty much just, um, just transfer right over. And I could pretty much go back to work doing that if I wanted to, but also kind of just leaving doors and options open. Cause you know, I'll have a little bit of savings. I won't have to jump right back into work. Might just do this. See if I could get this leverage this into something to at least sustain me a little bit. I don't know. But a big part of the move also is uh, just I really want to get involved with more just like agrarian lifestyle. Like I'm involved with, I've got plugged into the Freedom Cell group out in like uh, southeastern Tennessee, which is kind of where I'm thinking I'm going to head and see if I can land there and try to jump off there. Um, but yeah, just just really, really trying to like find a way to disconnect from the system, just start growing food and just learn all that stuff. That's a big part of the goal. And, uh, you know, I tried to build that something like that out here in Oregon. You know, we've got really involved with Freedom Cells. We got really involved with putting together events, meetups, all this stuff. And I poured myself into that too. And we, we were able to do some big things, but ultimately, I don't know. I feel like maybe getting plugged into a, a place that is where they are already like full steam ahead going. And it sounds like in, in Tennessee, this particular group, they're already doing the deal for reals. And so I just want to get involved with that. Yeah, that that's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, change isn't always bad. It's scary, no. but it's sometimes good. You know, it's 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 nice to to take an, a new journey, turn the page, move up, do something else, and and who knows what doors are going to open. And um, and I mean, you, you kill it anyways. I mean, your website. I remember checking out your website. I'm like, dude, this dude. I I've been doing my podcast forever. I like feel like I just did a website recently. You. you you, I mean, your website's awesome. You have a great <laughs> website, easy to to find everything. Uh, so it's super user friendly. I mean, the, the I love your intro, your your music, your intro, the way uh, you know it, it looks like it's drawing the the artwork. Yeah. And all. Well, that's I got to shout out him. So it's at Bags Draws on Instagram. He does a lot of like pro bono artwork for um, like Abs in a Six Pack, which is a fantastic show. He does for like OBDM. Um, and, and, and I just love his style, so I reached out to him and commissioned. I'm like, hey, this is my idea. I just want to, like, have, like, all the conspiracies, like, in a pile of rubble, like the Twin Towers collapse, you know what I mean? And he just busted out and then sent me that drawing. I'm like, oh, I'm using that as the intro. That's fantastic. But, uh, yeah, outsourcing a lot of this stuff, like, not feeling like I have to take it all on. Like, I did build the website, but uh, I think part of And then the, 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 the music is a Portland hip-hop artist called Rhyme Wave. So, everybody, go check him out because he's got some of the most – awake red-pilled hip-hop out there and he's fantastic um portland-based and uh they're working on a project and he said they're kind of like taking a step back so he didn't i don't know if he wants me to talk too much about it but they're basically building a network of venues like around the world that uh that don't make don't require masks don't require vaccine like basically just liberty-minded freedom-oriented venues for you know whatever hosting events or you know performances stuff like that so rhyme wave Rhyme Wave Hip Hop on Instagram. So, but yeah, you know, uh, that's one of the things that I've found to be a part of the success is like, I like to delegate and outsource. And I'm, I'm actually got plugged in with a local t-shirt design shop too. So instead of using the big shops, I want to try and go local with that too. So I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, man, thank you. It's, uh, it's cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you you always seem to be pretty good with this stuff. I mean, the look of uh, Truthzilla was, I think, a big part of it. Like, it looked cool. It always, uh, you know, it just it sounded cool. It looked cool. It had a cool logo. It had a nice name to it. Uh, I think Rebunk's a pretty cool name, too. It's uh, really creative. Uh, I'm surprised that it ha- actually hasn't been used before. Uh, you, I know. You couldn't there's find nothing. it. There's no shows. There's no nothing. When you type in Rebunked, like, there's nothing, really. Like, And that was one of the things about Truthzilla, too, is that... When you go to Google and you type in Truthzilla, it's all us. Bam. Everywhere. You know, there's no other things out there that have that name. And so having a unique unique name allows you to kind of dominate search results, which is a huge thing. And then Rebunk, surprisingly, yeah, there's no other shows. There's no other nothing. And so you type in Rebunk, it's pretty much the show pops right back, right up. Let me see. Let's see. It's still yeah. like that. Yeah, I fucked up because I, I named my show The yeah. Ripple Act, which was like everything but my... Well, this is what happened. Initially, it was hard to find my show. And then the show yeah. got big enough yeah. where it, it, it dominated the, the Google search. Yep. And once I got banned off YouTube, and I don't ah. know um, if, if anybody else, any other content creators went through the same thing. But it, it was so obvious that once I got banned off YouTube... That all of a sudden, when you put in the Ripple Effect podcast, that everything was suppressed. Like my my social media accounts, everything related to me was suppressed, and it wouldn't come up. And I'm like, well, I don't get it. Like my YouTube channel is gone, so I, I get that not coming up. But why is the show not coming up at all? Like on iTunes or whatever. And um, so you know, I it, it's kind of like you had to start all over once I, I once I got banned off YouTube. But and then when I heard Dr. Robert Epstein on the Rogan podcast. Mm. And him, which was a phenomenal podcast. I keep recommending it because it, it truly was one of the be- the better shows. He's I'm scared to listen to that one. I've heard you talk about. It. I've heard others talk about it too. I'm like, I'm kind of nervous. But I mean, I know. I mean, I know it's just horrible. But, but he, he goes. He go, he liked. He, he he's like a black belt in in the subject, and he just takes it to a whole nother level. And it's just like when you realize how deep, and and I mean, it's it's one of the like Rogan had a similar podcast that he had with like McCola and with. Dr. Robert Malone, when yeah. it seemed like Rogan was like, it was all like all the dots were connected in his head. And he, he realized how serious of, uh, you know, how serious this all is. And like at the end of the Robert Malone podcast, he's just like, thank you, Dr. Malone. And he's like very kind of short. He didn't do a lot of talking. He did a lot of listening and he was kind of quiet. It seemed like he, he could really, he was like trying to grasp the seriousness of it all. And it was similar kind of a show with Dr. Robert Epstein, where it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. you're listening to this and you're just like, dude, this is what even more serious than I thought it was. And, um, so just the, the just the extent that they have control over everything and everything uh, online and the internet. So it's 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 pretty scary. But yeah, I mean, I have the same issue. That's why word of mouth helps. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know, and and that's why I try to go on all the platforms because it's like I don't even know how to reach people. I tell people to go check out my show, and they'll say, "Oh, I, I googled it and I couldn't find it." I'm like, "How the fuck is that possible?" Yeah. I, I have three hundred and whatever ninety something shows. Yeah. Uh, I'm on a bunch of different platforms. Uh, I've, you know, I've been around for a while. How, how, how is it not coming up? You know, you're talking about like the most advanced algorithms where when I spell something wrong, it still gives me the thing (laughs) I'm looking for. And yet you can put in the exact title of the show and it won't come up immediately. Like it just, that's why I started the, 
the um the clips channel the very neglected clips channel uh because i'm like okay well at least i have a presence on youtube and maybe it'll have a effect on the searches so if you search they're not going to suppress something that's not banned off youtube that's on youtube maybe some of the clips will come up and then that'll be hopefully the the first step in being uh exposed to to the show uh unfortunately finding clips and making them take as long as making a, a full podcast so it's like hey i just uh, i just did an episode with uh, randy from soundwave promotions i'm sure you've heard of him he can probably help you out yeah he's he's awesome yeah, like he's, he's great i i listened to a, a huge portion of that show because oh, okay much like yourself i knew of him i've talked to him. i remember yeah. when he up years ago uh, and he talked about it was like 2019, maybe. No, no, yeah. it wasn't. No, it was during the 2020 era, was it? I don't know. It was some somewhere around then. Where I think where that's he, when he got started was like the whole 2020 thing. Yeah, yeah. He, he and he was talking about uh, you know doing clips and all this stuff. I remember he was even discouraged a little bit. Yeah, we we had a conversation via uh, DMs and on Twitter, and he was like a little discouraged because he's like, you know, he's like, I'm trying to make this a career, and he's like, yeah. you know, he felt like he wasn't having any luck with like taking those steps and. Um, well, like I told him, like, dude, just keep doing it. I'm like, yeah. listen, I've been doing this show for freaking what I, f- I feel like forever, and it's it's obviously not. So it's only since 2013, but uh, it feels like still I've been you're doing- an OG man, hundred percent. Yeah, kind 100%. of, kind of, yeah. And and I'm like, you know, I'm still not, I'm not making anywhere close to any money that I you consider living off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm like, you know, just be patient, keep doing what you're doing. You know, don't let the uh, those type of things kind of get in the way of your passion and and your what you're trying to do, and and things will fall into place. I mean, I keep saying that, and because maybe a, a part of it's like I'm trying to convince myself things will eventually fall into place, like you know. But I, you know, to me, it's like it's like that struggling musician who's playing at bars on weekends or whatever. It's like okay, maybe you'll never go platinum. Not that that means anything, but mm-hmm. it, it, but but you're doing something you love. And and the success or or the the feeling of success is coming from touching some people and knowing you're touching some people and also feeling like you're contributing to some positive change in the world. Yeah. And so everything else is just like, okay, that would be great if, if I could do this full time. Um, but if I can't, then I, I don't see I, the reason why I always hesitate to say this, because I'm like, I, I wonder if one day I'm going to regret saying this, like one day I'll just be like, listen, money's super tight i have to start pri- uh, putting my priorities in order where it's like let me focus on things that I actually put food on the table for my family and and all this stuff and i can't keep half-assing those things not to half-ass those things but it just it becomes very hard to juggle as, as you know like it's with a full-time job and then you're you're also trying to do a podcast it's really hard to fucking juggle and even when you can juggle it they get in each other's way because sometimes i will show up to a podcast you know at the last second like rushing around because you know i, I had this stuff going on with the kids the wife had to go to work so i had the kids and i had to drop off the kids at my parents house real quick because my wife's at work and then uh so i'm rushing here and i'm like oh my god i'm like I hope everything starts up because i only have enough time to start everything up and hit record yeah. <laughs> and then, uh and then and then all of a sudden you're trying to have a casual conversation even though your heart rate's going crazy and your mind's all over the place and you're thinking about like shit that you forgot to do before you left work and all this it's like it's just really really hard that's you know, Ryan says it, and it's, uh, you know, I've, I know he said it to you guys that uh, on Truthzilla, I believe, and he, he's, he has said it to me, too, where he's like, I don't know how anybody has a full-time job and can do this, because mm-hmm. it's, it's so, and it's it's so true, like, it's just, it's really hard to kind of 
balance everything out and not be distracted by all these other things. Like it's just, it, it's hard, but it it's, I don't know. I mean, it, obviously, none of us are doing it for the money because there's not a whole lot of money in in uh, in doing this. You know, that's why it's funny when people are like, "Oh, anti-vaxxers." You know, all they're trying to do is is make money, and you know, I'm like, there's no financial incentive in being banned everywhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, or or being, um, you know, losing the mainstream uh, uh, media's respect because you're just now pigeonholed as a a, a, um, a, a anti-vaxxer. So it's like, you don't do this because of money. But you know what? Honestly, I don't think you do anything because of money. Uh, yeah. if, you, if you if you really love it, you know, you yeah. do it because you love it. And then the money comes afterwards. Musicians, right? All the best yeah. albums, all the best musicians of all time. Like, I have albums. Every once in a while, I'll, uh, I'll just remember a album that was, like, so fucking influential in my life and like had a huge impact on me that I'm like, probably nobody listened to that album. You know, it like, it wasn't, it, it like sold barely anything. Those guys who, who, who create this beautiful piece of music, um, they probably are working full-time jobs thinking like, what impact did I have? And yet, you know, like they influence people like myself or other people who are doing other arts and other creative things and, and they influence their way of thinking. And, and, and so they did create a ripple and they, um, you know, it's, it's so many, I mean, the small bands, I remember this band called R squared. I remember this band mm. called um, FBI from Canada. It was called a uh, FBI stood for fueled by ignorance. Mm. And um, like all these, like just like really small bands that I'm just like, you know, they came out with like a couple of self-recorded albums and, I stained. I have Stain's album that they recorded in my hometown in Ludlow and uh Stain, you know, Aaron Lewis Stain. And you know, they th their story is pretty insane. I don't know if you know their story, but no. they uh they have a pretty interesting story. So they they were they were kind of uh popular locally like bar scene because they were playing a lot of cover stuff. They were playing like Tool, their big Tool, um Allison Chains, like stuff like that. And then um they end up getting a gig, like uh, their manager got them a gig for opening up for Limp Biscuit, right? And I forget where it was, somewhere kind of a local in Massachusetts. And uh, their self-titled album, or, or the, no, it wasn't self-titled. It was called Tor Tormented. I believe it was called Tormented. Uh, their the self-recorded album, Tormented, had on the front of it, they had a Bible with like a knife in it and blood all over the place, and had a bunch of other like imagery that was kind of controversial or would, would like you know, shock rock type thing. And um, so Fred Durst, right before uh, Stain was about to go on stage, is like, he sees his album and he's kind of a religious guy. So he's like, who the fuck are these guys? He's like, no, 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 they're not playing. Like, I don't want them playing. I don't want these guys opening up for me. But by the time he could say that, they already started playing. They're like, well, we can't stop them now. And um, I believe they're even going to cut it short. But he enjoyed like the first song whatever they played and maybe it was mud shovel who knows that was a, a song that came from that uh that first self-recorded album that eventually ended up being on their first big label album but um he ended up loving them and getting them signed at interscope and and uh you know and it was just like it was just luck of the draw being at the right place at the right time and uh, and those guys became you know at one time stain was one of the biggest rock bands in the u.s you know tons of chart topping albums and i remember seeing these guys locally i remember working at the cinemas you know my um one of my first jobs i, I would work at the cinemas on weekends work construction during the weekend and work at the cinemas on on weekend and um and i would see uh, mike mushak there the guitarist and the cool thing about mike is that nobody recognized mike because nobody ever nobody is 
really nobody has like a face that you really remember except Aaron Lewis. You know, Aaron Lewis had that look. Everybody, but Mike is like one of the biggest in one of the biggest bands in, in the U.S. and yet can go to the movies in Springfield um, and and nobody fucking recognized him. I remember working there. I'm like poking people. I'm like, yo, you know that's the guitars of Stained. Like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, yeah, that's guitars. And it was it was just cool. And my co-host Dave actually went to high school with Mike and uh, Mike Mushak, the guitar is a stain. And uh, so but like think about it. like this dude, these dudes were just playing in a little, you know, in a basement. Uh, you know, I, I even know the street it was on Fuller Street in, in Ludlow, recorded the album there. And then next thing you know, I ended up being one of the biggest bands in the U.S. So you you just never know who you're who you're impacting or where it can go. Uh, you know, I always use the example of Nikolai Tesla, right? One of the. Mm inventors ever he wasn't motivated by financial motivations he was motivated by he really cared about having an impact on the world and humanity and and his work so uh, I think that's always the best motivation that's where kind of like myself and like libertarians will kind of uh, cross uh, will cross paths on a lot of topics but then on that one we'll kind of separate a little bit because I'm like from an artist perspective I'm like I don't think uh, capitalism it gets us the best products all the time or gets us the best stuff all the time because i think a lot of the best stuff comes from people who don't really give a shit about capitalism Mm -hmm. oh totally totally and man you're so right about that like i think just the the importance and people recognize it too like if you're just in it for the money like people know people know and then it's like it's not it's unattractive you know what i mean like i even thought like after truezilla i was like god what am i gonna do now and i was like thinking about just like well I could do it like my my thought was like I'll just do a show about recovery, just about just about recovery, nothing controversial, just about recovery, and maybe you know I could support myself doing a mainstream quote unquote podcast. And I'm like, no, no, who are you, who are you kidding here? Come on now, come on, <laughs> like you got to get right back in the ring, like let's do this, man, you know. So yeah, it's uh, have and, you and, had uh, show about that recovery story? What's that? Have you had uh, uh, any? Is there? Have you done a show specifically on your own personal story of that? Uh, no, not. I mean, I mean, maybe I've alluded to it. I'm trying to think. Actually, you know what I did? I went on with Cheney. I did Project Cheney with her, and I kind of spilled the beans about it. But that would yeah. be the show because she's she's yeah she she uh, she loves those personal stories, and I love those personal stories because I yeah. think people gain a lot from it. For people listening who might not be familiar, yeah. With some of your, but do you, how much of it do you do? I mean, I don't want to put you in a, I'm a full open book about it. I do not even care. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth hearing. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, I share it at, you know, they, they say like in these, these meetings, you're not supposed to like refer to any specific program just in public forums such as this. So it's like without, and, and so I kind of talk in general terms, like 12 step, 12 step, you don't know which 12 step, but it's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of like what, where I kind of found my home. But anyway, yeah, I'll tell you, man, like, it's crazy. So. I, uh, through my twenties, you know, I kind of enjoyed drinking a little bit. Like drinking was kind of like my thing, right? Maybe to excess, had some very dark times. Uh, it was just like, it was brutal, man. And like, I got to the point where I was having like pretty, like in my late twenties, man, like I was having very late stage complications, like health complications to the point, like these are the things that happened to me like right before they die. Like I was having like seizures all the time. Like, like literally like withdrawal seizures. Like I would literally like false crash my head open and be carted away in an ambulance. You know what I mean? I was like having really bad health consequences and like, man, I got to figure something out. I tried to get clean. Uh, let's see. 2009 was the first attempt. And then 2011 was the next, uh, attempt. And, and, and 2011, um, that's when I moved to Eugene, uh, from Portland 
And I got like I got like a good year, year of sobriety. Um, and in that time, I kind of built up. Like I had a, a job, car, apartment, and uh, at the same time, I was going to like these meetings and doing all that. And then I was like, "Look at me! Look what I did! Wow!" And I took all the credit for it. I didn't give any credit to any of the people who helped me along the way. I didn't give any credit to like the mentors that helped me along the way. I didn't give credit to the fact that this program was probably something that was benefiting me in some way. And in taking all the credit for it, I kind of pulled back from all that. I said, look at me. I'm cured. I'm cured. I'm good. I don't need any of that stuff, right? I didn't give any credit to the stuff that got me to that point in the first place. And that was like the biggest lesson that I ever learned was, you know, as soon as I took my power back and like, well, the power thing is kind of a, a controversial thing. And a lot of it keeps a lot of people away from like 12 step stuff because like, you know, the first step saying I'm powerless, I'm powerless, right? And a lot of people aren't willing to go there. And I think there's a misconception around that particular piece of it. But in, in the, the kind of, there's so many different uh, ironies and uh, in, in recovery. And so like when I, when I say I'm powerless over this, whatever, this drug, I immediately get all my power back because I can stop fighting it. I don't need to fight it anymore. I can just like be like, okay, I'm done. I need help. And so that's really what that's all about. But anyway, so then I ended up going back out in 2011 with a vengeance. Um, I had lost a relative and I used that as an excuse to just fully just go off the deep end. Uh, yeah, it was crazy, man. And just on a fluke, on a fluke I, uh, you do mourn, right? I mean, when, when you lose a loved one, you do, yeah. and it's people look for ways to deal with that, that pain. Yeah. And, you know, you went back to what you knew worked, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. Uh, totally. And, and so I was drinking, right? And, I, and it's so weird about like, you know, I, 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 th- I literally think that the people are just wired differently, like physiologically. And I don't think that like, it's kind of like, like we describe it as like a pickle, right? Like a pickle was once a cucumber, but once it becomes a pickle, it can never revert back to being a cucumber. Right. And so I had the experience of after having done that to my body and just traumatized my body in my late twenties so much. Once I did, I had like a year of sobriety. I, once I returned back to drinking again, my body went right back to that same state where I was like having withdrawal seizures again. And it's just like, it didn't take it long at all to get immediately back to where I started. Like I was saying, having the same physiological responses that, that my body had when I was full blown dependent to the extreme, you know, before, which is crazy. So every time you're trying to get clean, you would have these withdrawal issues. Like your health would just, well, no, it wasn't necessarily about getting like I would I would drink the night before and I would wake up and if I didn't immediately drink again, like my body would go start to go into physical withdrawals, you know. And so that's where the where the but once you get once you get once you detox and get it out of your system, the acute withdrawals, then you're not really at risk of any like the seizures or the the shakes or anything like that. That's kind of the acute phase like while your body's uh, you know, it's dependent, you're you're dependent on it physically. And it's, it's craving that. And so those are the, the physiological things that happen. It's just, it's super scary, man. It's the scariest shit ever. <laughs> it, it sounds crazy, but yeah. it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of accepted in, in the drinking world that yeah. if you're hung over, if you have a alcoholic beverage the next day, you actually feel better. And the reason you feel better is because you are going through some sense of withdrawals. And, uh, and sometimes just kind of feeding those withdrawals helps you kind of, uh, deal with it a little bit, but uh, you know, I you know, I guess alcoholics never really have to deal about uh, deal with being hungover because you never stop drinking. So I guess yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, that, you get to that point where it's like the only way. And in fact, like I, I remember going to 
man, yeah. At one point, I remember going to this this place that I had to wait in line or like be on a waiting list to get submitted admitted to this uh, detox place. And they said, just keep showing up every day, you know. But in the meantime, do not stop drinking. Don't stop drinking. So this is like the clinic telling you, don't stop oh. drinking, because when you stop drinking, like alcohol and benzodiazepine are the two drugs that if you you can actually physically die from the withdrawals, and you can actually your body like shuts down, your heart will stop from alcohol withdrawals. And so it's actually super dangerous. So, you know, quitting cold turkey on alcohol is really not advisable. You know, definitely, definitely, definitely go get some help. If the, if anybody's listening in that case, like, you know, but, uh, yeah, man. So I went back out, you know, this was 2000, maybe like 2012 is when I went back out. Cause I got sober in 2011. And so I got about a year, went back out and on a fluke, man, just on a fluke, I was at like some party or something. And Somebody had some meth, and I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Tried that, and then I was like, oh, so this is what I've been looking for my whole life. <laughs> oh, man, and literally, and I had it all justified in my head. I was like, because it was weird because like, I just immediately stopped the craving for alcohol, and I was like, wow, I just cured my alcoholism, and so that just started a whole path where the next four years, yep, I – uh Lost the job, lost the apartment, lost the house, living on the streets, uh, basically shoplifting to support myself and the habit. And that became a whole other thing in and of itself. Like, I couldn't go into any stores around here. Like, it was just bad, 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 bad to the point where August 27th, 2016, I was up in Portland and I had some, a whole bunch of outstanding warrants. I had all these, like, you know, I was on a, on a suspended sentence. So basically, and due to a shoplifting charge, and they said if you get if you get in any more trouble, you're going to prison. And so, I just completely blew all that off, and uh, yeah, was just on the run. You know, I was supposed to be checking in with a PO, all this stuff, and didn't. And uh, August 27th, I got arrested for loitering up in Portland, and uh, I went and served that that sentence that I was, that had it hanging over my head. So I went to Oregon State Penitentiary for three months and uh, did the rest of my set in like minimum security yards. And I did ended up doing 14 months on a 22 month sentence in Oregon state corrections. <laughs> and, uh, and this was two, let's see, I got out October 24th, 2017. And uh, I did get high once in prison. Um, but I felt like I was under duress, man. I was in Oregon state penitentiary, like the big house. This is like where like they house, de- you know, death row and I met some people that were there on life sentences, people that are never getting out, you know, like killers, you know what I mean? And that's that's interesting having conversation with like, you know, people that they have unique life perspective, people that are not getting out. Like this one guy I was talking to, he said that he just got done serving his first life sentence, 26 years, and he was just starting on his second life. So he had consecutive life sentences and he was just about to start his second <laughs> life sentence. I'm just like, "Jeez, man, like wow." And you know, it, it, but 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 it was my first day at Oregon State Penitentiary, and like the cellmate, he had some drugs on him. He's like, "Hey, we get high in here." I'm like, "Okay, please, just don't, just don't hurt me. I'll, I'll do it. I don't care." So, in my mind, like I was against my will, and so I didn't count that really. But uh, but yeah, I died. so I did get high once, but that's the last time I ever ingested any sort of mind or mood altering substance. And that was uh, December fourteenth, twenty sixteen. So that was that. I got out. I got out, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know anything. I'm super scared. I just don't. The only thing I know, like I got out and I like had like a box with some paperwork and the clothes on my back. I didn't know a soul and my family had disowned me. They said, don't ever contact us ever again. Just don't, just don't. And, uh, 
I didn't have anybody or anything, man. And like, so I just went to a meeting. I said, look, I need help. <laughs> like, I don't know anything. All I know is I don't want to get high. And uh, they scooped me up, man. And then the persistence of, of going to those particular meetings and some of the folks that I met who, you know, who are still big parts of my life today taught me how to live again, really, you know, and uh, gave me this life today that's beyond my wildest dreams. It's insane. So... Dude, what an amazing story. I, I mean, to, to hit rock bottom like that and to yeah. be where you are now. And, and I mean, if, if you don't, if you didn't share that story, nobody would ever assume you've been through that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nuts. I mean, it's, but it's so important because so many people have been there and so many people need to hear other people's personal experiences and success stories to know that they can also get through it. Um, yeah. It's that, I mean, I had, I definitely had, my my issues with alcohol i mean i had some some other issues growing up too but it sure. like the alcohol one it's weird because I, I can you know i don't drink a lot i drink often i always say but yeah. um, i did go through a stage in my 20s where i was drinking too much and i uh, i never saw it as a problem because it was like i just wanted to have a i was just having a good time and i just wanted everybody else to have a good time so i just bought i mean i blew probably similar to yourself blew a lot of money on drinking and uh, some money that I, I wish I, I had now, but it, it's, you know, I would just blow, blow all my money on going out. And I, I went through a, uh, I had like a high school sweetheart that I dated, uh, for a while after high school. And then like, once I turned 21, roughly, uh, sometime around there, we broke up and it's similar to like any breakup, really a band breakup or a podcast breakup. Uh, you kind of feel like, what do I do with my life now? Like mm -hmm. this was like, my identity this is who the you know who i would spend all my free time with and now i'm kind of on my own and i had friends i had people that like i i knew from playing sports or i would talk to at the gym or i i would talk to because they're in the music and they played in a band but i didn't have friends like i went out and and discuss my personal life with or friends that um i could just go have a drink with and and, and connect and um so when i start and i was kind of a shy kid because it was kind of a the single world and a going out world was kind of new to me, and so uh, drinking kind of helped bring out my my social side, and it made it easier for me to talk to people. And then they just like, well, one drink makes things fun. Well, two drinks makes things more fun, and then three drinks makes things more, you know. And it was, I mean, there was nights where literally, like, I just, I, I we always joked around about how like I, I would stop drinking from either when I ran out of money. Or the bar closed. Those were the only, you know, because it was just like, oh, we'll do another shot. We'll do another, you know. And not to say that I didn't have some good times. It wasn't like all awful. You know, it wasn't all like a, a bad. It was a, a, a really ridiculous experience because it's like, okay, well, I, I enjoyed myself, but I know I, I took it too far. And there's two occasions where I, I don't know if it was, I, I used to talk about this and say it was alcohol poisoning because I, that's what I was assuming but it could have been withdrawals I don't know but there's two occasions where I drank uh, I was really going on some serious binging and um, I drank so much that I locked myself in my room and stayed there for I think three days and uh, you know didn't move like didn't leave didn't go to the bathroom didn't eat didn't drink didn't and nothing um, and the weirdest thing about that experience, and I remember the first time it happened, 
the first time it happened, I listened to um, that's why like the song still gives me like goosebumps when I listen to it because it just brings me back to that place. Uh, I listened to uh, "To Whom It May Concern" by Under Oath on the album uh, "Define the Great Line." It's the last track, and it's already such a dark and emotional song. And I had that song playing on repeat for three days, and. Um, I mean, I, I just I had some crazy, like almost like psychedelic experiences while I was just like locked in my room and I couldn't move. And um, but I remember walking out and looking in the mirror and almost being afraid of like what I was going to see because I didn't remember what I looked like, you know, like because I haven't wow. looked in the mirror in so long. And I, I remember like being afraid to talk because I don't remember what I sounded like. Hey, did you ever go through that? Like, did you ever go at such a long time where like you wouldn't? you know, you just didn't look in the mirror and you almost like were afraid of what you were looking at. Like, I almost felt like I was afraid, like afraid of what I become or something. It was something maybe deeper where I'm like, I'm going to look in the mirror and I didn't know if I was going to see like a alcoholic or if I was going to see myself looking normal because I felt like an alcoholic. I felt like, like how could I drink so much that I, I just locked myself in my room for three days and every little thing, like my mother would knock on a door because she thought I was like dead or something, and uh, my heart rate would go up mm-hmm. every time I heard, like, would hear any noise. I would have like these crazy anxiety attacks where just like I didn't, I didn't know what to do. The only thing I, I, I could do, the only thing I could think of was like just wait it out, let it wait till it goes away. And I think it took like three days, and uh, so wild, wild fucking experience. I mean, alcohol is like one of those things where just like because it's such a part of so many cultures and and it's around every corner uh we don't think about we don't look at addiction to alcohol the same way we look at addiction to other drugs uh but it, it's a uh, it's similar if not worse you know it's 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 made a lot of great memories and it's also made a lot of tragic memories and you know it, it it's it's capable of both and it, it's it's weird because i I wanted your opinion on this because obviously all of your life experiences that you've been through. Have you heard about the Rat Park exper- uh, experiment? I'm sure you probably have heard me talk about it. Is this not- the the like the utopian one? It's With it's like- you know the the where they basically had rats or or mice. I don't know which ones, but they they had them in a cage and and one of the they had two things of water. One of them had cocaine or heroin. Yeah. Something and then they yeah, and they, and they get all high on the cocaine and then they put them in like a rat utopia and they're like don't even yeah. care about the cocaine that yeah. Is, yeah and then and then they didn't come to the cocaine right yeah. and and what the conclusion that kind of came to was that it wasn't that the substance was addictive it was that the they were unhappy in the cage oh, and totally. the substance gave them something that brought them some type of happiness and you look at like uh, I don't know if you've ever had Johan Hari on your show but he's he's a he's a he had the book um i had him on when he was promoting the book oh what the hell was it called disconnected or something along those lines but it was about like you know basically uh the true uh causes of depression and anxiety and those type of things and and um and then dr carl hart he's another one who kind of uh, said addiction uh in this light where they think it's more internal than external and it kind of makes sense because And I actually, so this guy who puts together uh, pickup basketball, um, one of the places I play at, this guy, Devron, he's, um, he's older and, and he, he used to be, uh, you know, just, he'll say himself, he was a shithead. He, he Mm -hmm. drank a lot, cheated a lot, lied a lot. 
And um, now he helps people in, in uh, classes and w- with recovery and whatnot. And we've talked about this specific topic and he completely disagreed with me. He, uh, yeah. he thought that it, it, it was the substance. It was much more the substance than, um, than the person, the person themselves. And, uh, but I'm, I'm curious in your perspective, do you, do, because th- this is, and again, I, I'll, 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 I want your take on this because this is from like the outside looking in. I didn't, yeah. my, my experiences were, were very mild compared to your experiences, but, uh, I, I kind of look at it as like, okay, if cocaine or alcohol or whatever substance you're, you're, you're describing or talking about had to, if you could quantify its addictive properties mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, this is more addictive than that. And that's more addictive. You know, we always describe things in that, in that way. We talk about things like, Oh, caffeine's sugar is more addictive than this. So it's like, we're kind of describing things as like, okay, what makes you addicted to it is the substance. And it kind of t- takes away from like maybe looking deeper to see what the issue is. And I'm like, well, if cocaine's or alcohol is, is addictive, uh, and has these addictive pro- properties that you can quantify, then why would somebody like myself be able to have a glass of wine every night with dinner and I'm fine and then somebody else who maybe used to drink a lot would have that same glass and be right back to where they were, uh, ruining their lives, drinking too much. Oh, yeah. So, And it's like, okay, so is it the fact that the alcohol is addictive or is it the fact that I'm in, uh, I found peace or I found a fulfillment or I'm in a good mental place physically and mentally where I can have a little bit, I don't want to say self-control, maybe self-control is the wrong word, but discipline maybe mm-hmm. uh, de- to deal with that. Like what's, what's your opinion on, sorry, I probably gave you too much. To, no, that's to, great. No, no. I mean, I can go off on all that stuff. I mean, uh, I feel like that's definitely a combination of both. I mean, these substances do have physically addictive properties. You know, you can look at that in terms of like the tolerance, like you need more to achieve the same effect. Um, you know, it, it, it does. So the, there's the physical aspect for sure, but, uh, you know, the mental and the emotional piece is very much, uh, enmeshed with it, with it as well. You know what I mean? Um, particularly, you know, like we, we call it, it's got like a physical, mental and spiritual component to it. And this is, this is, this is like, you know, my recovery talking. So, you know, as a, as a clinician, as a counselor, you know, there's a very clinical, defined clinical approach to this, to the, the whole idea of addiction. And then there's like the more, you know, 12 step or just other, you know, recovery based uh, approaches as well. And they're, and they're two different approaches. And, they're, and sometimes they're not really, uh, they don't mix well. Like, like a lot of times, like certain agencies will tell you, hey, you can't teach 12 step in our, in our, in our agency. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's crazy. You know what I mean? And some are very much, they, they encourage 12 step or they're a 12 step based agency. So there's like kind of, and a lot of it has to do with like the higher power thing. Like they, they don't, some, some agencies don't want you to use the whole higher power thing. And and and, and I can talk about that too, but kind of you- the way I look at it, you know, having lived it and having, you know, worked with a lot of other folks. No, I was but, just gonna- uh, yeah. You're, you're, you're for people listening who don't know about the higher power thing. Yeah, that's yeah. controversy, the controversy with uh, like the, the religious aspect of it, right? Yeah. Some people have a problem with that. Well, so so basically, uh, it all kind of started with Alcoholics Anonymous as one was the first twelve uh, step program, and in the literature, they used the capital G God word a lot, right? Um, and they and they refer to that as the higher power. Now, they do go on to say that the higher power can be whatever you want it to be. You know, you can literally make the higher power just whatever, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's up to you to define what that is. But the the 1930s language used in the original Alcoholics 
big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, big book is very, uh, I would say, Christian aligned, kind of, you know what I mean? And so people are turned off by that. And I completely understand that. So kind of more modern 12-step programs, ones that are born out of that, um, their literature is a lot more modernized and a lot more inclusive to just very much drive home the point that, hey, you, this is not a Christian thing. You guys, come on, please, 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 please. And the way I describe it, it's like, okay, so when you were in your addiction, when you were, you know, whatever it is, heroin, meth, alcohol, whatever it was, this thing was a power greater than you. This was a power greater than you. This was something that you woke up every day and every single thought and action that you did was in service of that power that was greater than you, right? So now all of a sudden you're clean. And a lot of times people don't, like when they get clean, the decision's been made for them. Either they're in the back of a cop car or child welfare shows up in their life and it's not, you know, getting clean was not on the, was not on the agenda yesterday and now all of a sudden I've got the, the government in my life and I have to get clean. So all of a sudden that thing that has been your higher power for however long, maybe your whole life, you know, maybe you don't know anything different. Maybe you don't even realize there's a problem just because that's your family. Like I have so many people that it's like, you know, live out in rural communities where it's like the whole family, you know, cooks meth and all this stuff. And it's like, they don't even think that that's, there's anything wrong with that sort of thing, you know? And so just like removing that from your life, all of a sudden, just like that, you know, it's like, well, now what? So now you've just removed this thing that has been your higher power your whole life or however long. And what, what, what do we do? We need to, now it's like a vacuum. And so what I talk about, is like, you know, we're not looking for you to like get baptized and like <laughs> go to church or anything like that. All we're looking for is a power bigger than your addiction. That's it. You know, we talk about a higher power, a power greater than yourself for one, but really we're just looking for something bigger than your addiction. We're looking for something that you can gain strength from that's, that's bigger than this thing that has ruled your life that you're trying to get away from. And that's really the simplest way to put it. And it could be anything. And one of the things that I, I feel anybody that's struggling with that is like just if you go to a support group or some meeting of people who are there in support of each other and collectively trying to help each other, you know, that collectively is a, is a power greater than any one of the individual people at that at that particular meeting. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of strength and love and uh, support that, that you can do and that you can get from that. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts in one of these books talks about how, like, you can draw strength from this power long before you understand it. You don't have to understand any of it. You just have to open your mind to the fact that, hey, maybe there's something bigger than me that can help me. And a lot of that comes in the form of other people showing up in your life who've been where you're at, who know exactly what you're struggling with. Like, I go to meetings and I see somebody walks in with, like, a garbage bag, you know, with all their belongings in it, and they just look rough. And I'm like, dude, I know exactly what that feels like. And you can go up to them after the meeting and just be like, Hey, bro, like, blah, 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 you know, glad you're here. Just saying that, just that simple thing of saying that to that person. Like, and, and then you go off and, and you go about your day. And and sometimes those interactions have such a huge, profound impact on those individuals. You know, you don't know. You don't know. And, and I've seen it. I've seen, I've been that person. And I remember people who came up to me in the beginning when I went, when I showed up and I just, you know, humbled myself and got vulnerable and said, I need help. I don't know. And those folks that, that came up to me, man, those that's life-changing stuff. So, yeah, but, so it's, it's crazy. It's powerful stuff. And that's where, to me, that's what recovery is, is like, you know, I get to the place where now that we have a saying, you can only keep what you have by giving it away. So that's really what keeps me clean is the opportunity to give it back to others. You know, I sponsor guys. I've got a couple guys that I sponsor, you know what I mean? Like 
to me, that's that's how this thing works. Is then eventually they and one of them just started sponsoring a guy, and I'm just like, yes, you know, that's that's how this thing works, you know. But in terms of like whether you know what where it comes from, you know, we have a from the from the twelve step perspective. This is not the clinical perspective because even to this day, there's so much debate from a clinical perspective about there's all these different like psychological modalities as to what addiction is like they still haven't figured it out. And so that's why I kind of like revert back to, you know, I like the 12 step approach, honestly, because like they say it's, it's a, like a three fold thing. It's a physical, mental and spiritual affliction. Right. So the physical is the, uh, the compulsion, just like this overriding desire to continue to, to do this self-destructive behavior even when you have all the evidence in your life against you, like, you know, your life is crumbling around you, but you still can't do it. It's this, this compulsive behavior. And the mental part is the obsession. So obsessive compulsive, very much like you're obsessed with it. Every thought you have revolves around that. Like it's inescapable. And those two go hand in hand. And then they say that the spiritual piece is the complete self-centeredness, complete self-centeredness. Cause when you're at that state where you are, ruining your family, like you're ruining like everything around you. Like that is just complete self-centeredness, you know, like addiction is very self-centered. And so when we're looking at solutions then to all those, you know, we talk about the higher power and we, so we, we have a spiritual affliction. So we want a spiritual solution and that's where some of that comes in. And so the opposite of self-centeredness is then, you know, being others centered and giving away and being, you know, thinking about other people. And that's kind of what recovery is all about. Like, like people have this thing, like you see it in movies, you go to a meeting, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. That's just like such a teeny tiny piece of it. Because really what it is, it's just a culture of trying to do the next right thing and helping the still suffering addict or alcoholic. That's what it's all about. So, Well, the religious aspect is interesting. I remember at my gym, there was this super nice kid. He was this born-again Christian mm-hmm. who used to be a alcoholic and went through recovery and has his life together and now he has a great job and he had everything together i remember we used to get in this debate about how uh you know he thanks god for his recovery mm-hmm. and i would always be like listen i'm like i'm i'm happy that you feel that some supernatural entity had a gave you some type of just motivation or inspiration or some internal power to overcome that addiction. But I'm like, in a way, doesn't it take away from what you've accomplished? Mm. You know, because I'm like, you're, you're giving all the credit to this other supernatural being. And, and really, you're the ones, you're the one who had to physically deal with the withdrawals. You're the one who had, had to uh, emotionally deal with the fact that maybe you were the blame for everything that was kind of falling apart in your life and your addiction. And, and maybe you, you should take responsibility for some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I remember we would go back and forth. And then eventually I got to the point where I, I like started reanalyzing like my stance on it. And I'm like, listen, like if it helped him and if he got through it, does it really fucking matter where, mm-hmm. where that help came from? If it was supernatural, not supernatural, if he believes it, if he doesn't believe it, if it actually was something that, you know, some higher power that helped him or didn't like those details aren't as important as the fact that he got through it and he found a way through it. And uh, so that's always been a very fascinating aspect of it. Uh, I mean, it, it just so, so many people out there are, at crossroads in lives, you know, in their lives where they're just unhappy and they're unfulfilled. They spend all their 
time and energy and the best years of their lives invested in some corporate job where they have bosses and, and higher ups yelling at them and screaming at them, not appreciating them. And then they come home and they can't even be a good boyfriend or husband or brother or or father or friend because they're emotionally and mentally exhausted and treat like shit all day. And and then, you know, and then people have a drink because mm-hmm. to deal with it and people have, a you know, and that's why like alcohol to me, because I, I, I grew up being Portuguese, like alcohol is a huge part of our culture. You go to Portugal, literally like all we do is talk about food and alcohol and all we do is eat and drink. <laughs> and, and it's a, and it's a, it's a way of, of, um, of creating a, a community and, and friendships and, and connecting with people because through food and alcohol, like, and, and that's the thing, like, I don't think it's specifically because of alcohol. I think Portuguese people in a lot of Western cultures um, love social gatherings. And if that's going to church, you know, if that's making wine or making, you know, chorizo sausage, uh, all these things have a lot of similarities. And what the similarities are is that you, it's a excuse to, get your friends together it's an excuse to get your family together it's an excuse to hang out and get a um a big gathering and enjoy each other's company and uh and it creates a community and and so i i think community is so important i'm sure you're familiar with uh what's his name sebastian younger who wrote the book tribe and uh, it's it's fascinating so he was uh and I'll try to get, I know I've told this story on my podcast uh, before, so I'll try to I'll make it quick. So for the listeners who, who are, have to go through the torture of hearing it again, but Sebastian Younger was, uh, yeah, I think he was doing documentaries for Discovery Channel or NetGeo or something. He, he's an author. He does a bunch of documentaries, but he was at uh, the most dangerous part in Afghanistan with these uh, guys in the military. I don't know if they're Marines or what they were. They might've been Marines, but either way, um, he was with these uh, military guys in the most dangerous part of Afghanistan. Uh, I think he was interviewing them or recording film for a upcoming documentary. And they would talk about how they missed their families. They couldn't wait to get home. And, uh, you know, it was so dangerous where they were, all this stuff. It seemed like everything that he was hearing um, would lead to eventually these guys getting home and being super happy that they're home. Well, he ended up reconnecting with them, like, I don't know if it was months later or a year later or whenever, but he reconnected with them, and just about all of them were depressed, and all of them were unhappy. And he talks to them and tries to figure out what the fuck's going on here. Like, you guys were just in the most dangerous part of Afghanistan, couldn't wait to get home, now you're home, and you seem unhappy. And after talking to them, he realized, like, oh, shit, like, they're not uh, unhappy because they're home they're they're uh unhappy because they're unfulfilled and they're and there's no appreciation in, in in their lives anymore they they went from being a part of a brotherhood that you know uh each other's survival depended on each other and now they're home working a unfulfilling job unappreciated with no brotherhood no 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 close friends or whatever and and it was um many of them actually missed being in Afghanistan. Well, it's and, like, man, it's like now that the COVID narrative is crumbling, it's like, I'm kind of like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? Like, just go back to talking about how we need to stop the wars? Like, ah, oh, man, no, what am I going to do now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's, I was thinking about that. I'm like, how many doctors were being pulled in every direction, uh, you know, for interviews and how many, of them, like, their schedules just are opening up more, yeah. and more every week. But, 
I, I was thinking also, I'm like, I hope people don't stop booking some of these doctors no. and talking about this because no. th- this issue won't go. I mean, before COVID, you know, I had Brian Festa on from the CT Freedom yeah. Line. I had Del Big Tree on. I had uh, so many people on uh, prior because this was a issue uh, prior to COVID in regards to like pushing more vaccines on the people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, suppressing uh, anybody who had adverse reactions, uh, any of those stories, not giving you the full information and all, all that stuff. So uh, hopefully it, it, it doesn't go away. It is one of those things where it's nice to now talk about other things also sure. because um, it, it is one of those things where I'm like, how many more fucking shows am I going to do about this one specific topic? I can't. I, I'm sure listeners would probably like to hear something different, but there's something new to talk about every other day. If I don't constantly talk about it, I'm going to feel like, you know, we're going to be behind the ball. There's going to be some important news or some important uh, outlook on, on what's going on that's going to be forgotten or missed. So it's, um yeah, it's, it's all it's all super fascinating. But, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It, it, I, I know, hope people don't stop talking about it. I mean, I really hope they don't. You know what I mean? Um one of the big takeaways I had from the conversation I just had with Richard Gage was that, you know, he's been in the business of trying to hold the government accountable for a long time. You know, he's been fighting this incredibly, like the way he characterized it. It's like pushing a boulder up a hill and the boulder's so big, you have no idea where the top of the hill is, but you just keep pushing. Right. And, uh, I like know, so I feel like right now though, for his movement, for the nine 11 truth movement, like the stage is set in this amazing way where people are just, dying for some government accountability like people are just hungry to hold some of these people accountable for their transgressions right and so maybe it's time for the 9-11 truth movement to get some victories in in that sense and maybe covid 20 years from now maybe we'll start to get some answers i don't know but uh you know that's one of the things i asked him was just like you know we've got all these other you know we've got these new people that are whatever you want to call them organizations popping up that are trying to hold the government accountable. And you've been doing this for a long time. Like what advice do you have for them? And he's just like, just be persistent, be consistent, you know, and there's something that that's something that maybe we can take away from it too. It's like, okay, so yes, they just pulled off the crime of the century and now they're in stage 10 of the genocide, which is the denial and cover up, Right. And, uh, so now we can, as people in the media, you know, we, as, as things emerge and we get new information, you know, we can continue to, drive the message home and still advocate for some sort of accountability. Right. And that's one of the things I said, Richard too. I'm like, Hey, you know what? Like the longer they delay it, you know, the more information we're going to get, the more information we're going to get, the more evidence we're going to get. So that's kind of, they're shooting themselves in the foot by delaying it because the longer it goes, we're just going to have more ammo when we finally do get our day in court type of thing, you know? And, And I hope that is the case. I hope eventually somebody is responsible for the kids who had to wear masks in school, the, the, you know, the kids that their linguistic skills are behind or their social skills are behind or they're fucking petrified of the world because their mom and dad were screaming at them every time the mask was underneath their nose. I mean, um, all the people who lost their small businesses, all, I mean, people who went back to alcoholism, you know, like uh, the fact that they couldn't go to AA. I mean, you know how important that is. You you shut down the churches, you shut down uh, AA, you shut down, you know, all all these communities that help people get through their lives and and their struggles. And and people who didn't have uh, funerals the way they should have had them. You know, I I had a cousin who passed away in 20, early 2021, I think, or was it late 2020? Somewhere along those lines. And we had to do the typical, everybody had to be apart from each other, wearing masks type things, limited people who could go and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, some of those 
family members never get closure, never got, you know, what they deserved. And that's some, uh, you know, a, a, a service the way that they would like to do it with the family and friends uh, there to, to, to help them through it. And um, so it's like, yeah, there's a lot of other tragedies that people kind of overlooked. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, in regards to um, kind of not to bring it back uh Completely, because I don't know how much longer you want to talk about your own personal. No, I'm uh, down. I'm down. I, it's kind of funny, though. Like, I'm actually on a long lunch right here, so I probably should cut in about 15 minutes, but I'm good for about another 15. And okay. I got to go back to work. <laughs> I, got, I got some stuff I got to do, too, so that, that yeah. it's okay. But uh, how how much, did, like, so one, two questions real quick. Mm-hmm. One, um, were you in a place in life where you didn't feel fulfilled and was some type of uh, substance like alcohol or meth or whatever mm-hmm. kind of helping you deal with the just a lack of happiness you had in your life? And, and then two, when you when you got everything back together and, you know, obviously you're doing great for yourself and, and you got your life together and, and you're recovered and all that stuff. Uh, did you end up uh, fixing things with your any friends and family that you bur- you might have burned bridges with? Did they end up... Uh, you know, ho- hopefully understanding what, what you went through and, and, and kind of uh, rebuilding some of those bridges? Yeah, so um, for the first part of the question, um, absolutely, completely unfulfilled, completely just, you know, I had a great childhood. I can't attribute any of this to, you know, the upbringing. Like, I have two very loving parents, you know, they're still together, you know, great people. Um, you know, I just I just kind of just messed myself up, you know what I mean? And just like, yeah, there was some trauma in my 20s and just like all kinds of nonsense that I was... You know, when you talked about, too, you know, it's this this thing about the whole idea of liquid courage, right? You know, you drink to kind of, like, bring yourself out and have more confidence in social situations. And I think what it is is, like, in our society and just we are just – and just looking back on, you know, what's, what school is like for people. Like, I feel like there's these walls that are constructed around us that, that pound into our head that we are – you know, we need to be self-conscious and the world's judging us. And all these walls are put up kind of artificially, these artificial walls are all around us, you know, and it's the things that we keep, we put up to like guard the things that we feel that are maybe unworthy within us, you know, like the things that we feel like if the world knew, then they would hate me or judge me and all these things. And so we build these kind of like artificial walls around us and uh, keeps us trapped in a place of feeling unworthy and, and keeping ourselves like we can't just go out and be social or be ourselves or we don't feel like we can be ourselves. And so then we rely on substances. I think that's a very common thing. And I think that's what started with me. You know, I started in high school, like not fitting in. I was like pretty overweight, you know, just like, so that was my way of kind of coping and, and, and being a part of, you know what I mean? And breaking through. And, and the funny, the ironic thing about it all is, is that after having been through all that and having relied on substances for so long to kind of like feel whole and then looking at them as the solution to my problem. And then once that becomes the problem, once your solution becomes your problem, then you're totally fucked at that point. You know, and so that's that's kind of like where you reach that critical mass of like now your life is going to be now, now you're pretty much destroying yourself and you're on a path towards death if you're lucky and you're going to be very miserable on the way out. Um, but uh, the funny thing is, is that, you know, having gotten clean and a big part of recovery is it has very little to do with the drugs or alcohol themselves. It's learning how to live again. It's learning these principles that, you know, maybe we were never taught or don't realize the importance of, you know, and, uh, like in the 12 steps, they only mention drugs or alcohol in the first step. The rest of it's about healing. The rest of it's about growing. And so now 
now where I'm at today and like having gone through that process and gone through the healing and walked through all those uncomfortable things and, and, and processed everything and, and, uh, you know, made an inventory and looked at my character defects and came up with and developed this like toolkit of like coping mechanisms for life and like looking at life in a whole different way. You know, now I'm breaking, broken through to the point where like now I'm like, I'm what I wanted to be. You know what I mean? Like I have the confidence and I'm able to like speak publicly and I'm able to like do these things that like there's never in a million years with all the drugs and alcohol in the world. I'd never be able to do this stuff. You know what I mean? That's the big illusion. I think the big illusion is that those help propel you to these next stages when in fact, you know, you don't need any of that. You just kind of need to like for me, at least that was my experience. You know, I had to just take a look at myself and realize my worth in the world. And once I was able to find that, not just understand it, but internalize it and then incorporate that, that's kind of where I'm at today. And I just have so much gratitude. I know that it's from these people that taught me this stuff and from the things that I picked up along the way. And so, but, uh, during that process, you know, part of that process is looking very, very hard look at yourself. You know, they call it the searching and fearless moral inventory, looking at all the things, all your transgressions, all your deepest, darkest secrets, and kind of like having like, for lack of better words, like a death and resurrection ritual where you like purge all that with somebody you share with somebody all your deepest, darkest secrets. And then, and then they kind of like reciprocate with you and, and they're like, oh yeah, I did that too. And you're like, what, really? So I'm not like this horrible awful person. Nah, man, you're just fucking whatever, you know? And so, and then you come out of that and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, I guess, I guess maybe I, all right, yeah, okay. And then, and then like you kind of build on that and you look at your character defects and then you go and you try and make amends with the people that you hurt. So yes, I did have the opportunity to make amends with certain folks. And kind of the criteria with that is, is that you're not supposed to go and make amends with folks who, if by doing so would cause more harm, you know what I mean? So there's certain criteria. So you don't necessarily go make amends to everybody, but you, the whole point of the exercise is that you become willing to make the amend. You know, like I've, I put their name on the paper and I, you know, I basically become willing to make that amend. And sometimes that amend appears in your life and you just make the amend on the spot, but you wouldn't have been able to do that. Cause I actually had that experience. Like it's people like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to make that amend because it would cause more harm than good. And then that person comes back in your life and you've done the work and you've become willing and you can make that amend from a genuine place and the situation kind of takes care of itself. But uh, I do have family members who I did make amends with. Um, but, you know, it's funny. My parents said, like, just don't ever contact us ever again. And to this day, I still have not had any contact with them. I just kind of honored that boundary and it's just never, never come up. So that's kind of, it's kind of crazy, man. It's crazy. Have but, you ever- have you thought about contacting them? Yeah. So the kind of deal is like, I'm in touch with my sister and, uh, she's one of the ones I made amends with. And then we're kind of, we kind of check in every few, like every six months or so. And, uh, you know, she's kind of indicated that they're still not really in a position to want to have a relationship at this point. So I'm just like, all right, fine. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine like my, regardless, whatever my kids go through in life, uh, I, I, I don't know if I could ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I never like stole from them or anything, but I, I, they were front row seats to the chaos for 15 years, man. Like just, they, they, they tried to, you know, they allowed me to live with them for a while was I was at my worst and they just like saw the most horrific, like self-destructive shit ever. And they had to endure it and they tried to do it in a loving way to the point where, they couldn't for their own self-preservation. They just had to set this boundary and said, dude, you're, you're, you're lost, man. Like, just don't ever. 
And I, and I kept, and there was multiple times over the years, I'd build it up, you know, I'd get clean and everything's great. And then I'd just crash and burn again. And they, they, I, they, they went on that roller coaster with me for so long that, you know, I, I have no, you know, I don't blame them, honestly, you know. So you, you, you think that they're just concerned about going on that roller coaster again? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's like a really a self-preservation thing, you know what I mean? And then the last contact I ever had with them was, uh, oh, man, it's just crazy. Like, I, I, so this was like after I'd been on my four-year binge where I was homeless. I didn't contact them once, not for four years, you know what I mean? And, like, finally I got arrested, and I was in on my way to prison, and I called them from the county jail. And they were like, what the heck? And I, nobody answered. And then I got a letter a couple of days later. And it was from them, and they said, hey, we saw this phone call from a county jail, and we were like, what the heck? And then we figured out what was going on, and that was the point where we realized, like, we just can't for our own, like, the most loving thing we can do is just, like, we cannot have any more contact with you, so please honor that, and just, we're severing our relationship with you, and please don't contact us ever again, is basically what they said. And so, yeah, sitting in a freaking jail cell, going to prison, getting that letter, you're just like, like that's that's a bottom, that's a wake-up call right there. <laughs> I so, couldn't even yeah. imagine. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's it's crazy how sometimes the the worst prison is is the one that we create. Oh, you know? totally. It's nuts, man. Wow. Yeah. But mean, that's the thing. That's the thing is, I became willing. I made that like, and so in those situations, right? What we do is we call it living amends. You know, for example, like if there's a love, like a, a family member who passed away or something, and you. You did them dirty and you owe them an amend, but there's obviously no way you can ever make that amend. So what we do is we just call it living amends, where you live your life in such a way that would make them proud and that you just carry on and you don't do that again, you know. Part of the amends is I, I make it to myself. I, I, I make amends with myself. Like I, I'm sorry for how I treated myself for so long, right? And it's kind of like you make an apology to somebody and then you go back and do the same thing. That's kind of a dirtbag thing to do. So I kind of think of like with myself, like I've made amends with myself for the way I treated myself for so long. But now that means I can't go back and treat myself that same way ever again. Right. And so yeah. that's part of those living amends is living in such a way that would not only make them proud, but now putting more positive in the world than I'm taking out or trying to at least atone and just, you know, make the world a better place than when I, when I found it. And that's very something I hold on to very dearly. You know what I mean? A lot of that has to do with, helping others in recovery and helping others find their path and whether professionally or just, you know, going to meetings and that sort of thing. Well, as, as important as community is, and you know, I think that's a huge part of uh, us finding purpose in life and, and having people there to help you when you go through shit. Uh, I also think it's really, really important to find peace first among yourself, like be happy without being dependent on other people. You know, like oh, yeah. I, I used to tell, uh, girls, uh, you know, I used to date back in a day or, or even buddies who were going through it where they would be super heartbroken after a breakup. And I'm like, I, I went through that. I went through the, you know, I was suicidal after that first heartbreak. I hit rock bottom. And then I'm like, I'll never depend on somebody else for my happiness. I'm like, I, I will learn to be happy on my own. And then this person that I'm dating or marrying or hanging out with will add happiness to my already happy state. I, don't, I won't yeah. depend on them for my happiness because people are flawed and people will let you down. So if you depend on other people, not to say that, you know, my wife will let me down or whatever, but I'm just saying that like the potential is always there. So if I depend all my happiness on her or whoever, then the potential of, of being let down will always be there. Where if I find happiness 
alone, uh, you know, internally find peace, find fulfillment on my own, then everybody else will just add to that. You know, so I think that's that's really important too. people too often depend on other people for their happiness. You know, they they they, um, you know, you need to find not to sound all, all spiritual, but like. I think that's why the whole spiritual thing resonates with people because people realize like how important it is to find peace, peace with your action, peace with your life, peace with who you are, uh, feeling, uh, you know, I always talk about too, like one thing that's, uh, and I'll, I'll make this quick cause I, I, I know we, uh, you gotta go up soon, but I, um, you know how everything's perspective, right? Like when, when I go to Florida, typically we always stay with my wife's family and she, they, Boca. Boca is a place where there's, you know, they're not rich, but they're, they live near a lot of rich people. So you, you, sometimes my wife would be like, Oh, let's, let's drive uh, through this really beautiful neighborhood. And it's just like, you're driving through this neighborhood and you're just looking at some of these houses and cars and you're just like, you feel like the big, like the, the most, you know, unaccomplished person in the world. And then, you know, like, the, so you have that perspective. And then uh, when we, I work construction, sometimes we work in Holyoke or, or Springfield, which have some really, really bad areas. Like Springfield and Holyoke have been named some of the most dangerous uh, spots mm. in the U.S. And there, sometimes we're doing um, projects in, in some, like, literally some of the worst, worst neighborhoods. And when you work there and you see people who don't have anything and you see people who are addicts on the street, like legit, you'll see homeless people everywhere. You see addicts everywhere. You see, uh, just, I mean, you go back to your house and you go and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so grateful. I live in like a somewhat safe community and I have a car, you know, and I have, um, clothes and I have food, like all these things that you take for granted. And so it's like, what changed? Like what I have hasn't changed. It's my outlook on what I have. When, if I'm around people who have more shit, then I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel grateful. I feel like, you know, like, uh, I start feeling bad for myself. But if I'm around people who have less shit, I start uh, putting things in perspective and feeling grateful for what I do have. And I think we spend way too much time um, t discussing and wanting things that we don't have and not enough time appreciating whatever you do have. Because like that quote, you know, your worst day is somebody else's best day. And totally. it, it's true. You know, it's like things can always be worse and we can always have something to be grateful for. And when you see like, you know, these videos of people in like really poor, poor places, um, you know, even Portugal, like where I was born, I, I, even though I wasn't raised there, I came here when I was young, but my parents were raised in a house with no running water, no bathroom, no whatever. They weren't unhappy at all. They were super happy. And I mean, they had community. My dad's one of 12. My mom's one of seven. Huge fucking families. Uncles and aunts and cousins everywhere. Like, literally, you felt like the whole village, everybody was related in one way or another. And they had food that they grew. They had alcohol that they made together. Uh, they had uh, the woods and be the outdoors to play and have fun. And um, they didn't, you know... They, they didn't feel like they were missing out on something because they didn't, everybody else around them had the same shit. So uh, I think Dr. Christopher Ryan talked about this, how like um, depression and anxiety uh, are its greatest when the poorest and the richest, that gap is the greatest. If you're mm -hmm. surrounded by people who have similar things, you, you don't feel like, you, you know, you're deprived. You don't feel, you, you feel grateful because everybody is kind of similar, you know? So when that wealth gap is, is, uh, is greater, you start being envious of, of these lifestyles. And then same thing with like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, like all these freaking social media platforms. You look at somebody, they only post 
pictures of good times. They only yeah, post the, the highlights of their life. Yeah, yeah the highlights. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Well, well in, in recovery, we have a word for that. We say that, and this may be not exclusively to recovery, but we say it's it's comparing your insides to other people's outsides, right? Oh. I like that. So it's like, you know, I know how I feel on the inside. And so people always project, you know, the most perfect version of themselves that they can. Right. But you don't know what they're struggling with. You don't know what's going on. And I bet you anything, those people in those big houses down in Florida, like they're miserable. Odds are. Bet you. I don't know. But yeah. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I I, I know you got to go. But uh, but thanks so much, Scott, for for uh, for sure. Thank you, man. This is honor always an honor man always an honor to catch up with you like like you've, you've been you, like not only were you such a huge inspiration for me even trying to have the courage to do this but then you've been like such an instrumental piece of you know encouraging me and like very early on you know like helping me with some of the technical stuff and like just uh getting obviously plugged in with the union of the unwanted man like that was a game changer and so just like you've been a huge part of this journey for me so i just have the utmost gratitude and appreciation for you no problem. Listen, like like I, you know, like I've been saying a lot lately. You know, when one of us does better, we all do better. Yeah. You know, everybody 100%. rises together, and you know, there's been plenty of times you've helped out. You know, which again, it's a perfect example of how things come around. You know, like I, uh, you'd refer to somebody. I'm like, oh yeah, I can connect you with them. And then there's been times where I'm like, wait, hasn't Scott had him on the show? Let me, you know, and, yeah. and you return the favor. And that's kind of the way the world works. You know, it's yep. it's um. You know, you never know when when it's a nice gesture will come around to to help you out. In totally. the and so, uh, totally. thank you so much, Scott. I'm so glad that you're doing well. I'm so glad that you didn't give up on podcasting. No. And, and you got no, a we're new- just getting started. Yeah, absolutely. So, so well, tell tell listeners where they can find you, man. So for for, for my people, because this is a Swapcast, right? Where a Swapcast is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll share these. Uh, the Ripple Effect Podcast.com is the easiest place to see all the places you can find the video version of the uh, podcast. The audio version of the podca- podcast is available everywhere, all the common places. Uh, Spot- RickyVerandas2.com. RickyVerandas.com, too, right? So the the two, uh, I, I bought both URLs. I actually bought through it, uh, all of them. I bought RickyVerandas.com, the Ripple Effect Podcast.com. Okay. So and I typed in the ripple effect podcast.com and it took me to Ricky Veranis.com. I was like, Oh, okay. Well maybe it all works. It all works. Yeah, it all brings you to the same okay. place. So yeah. And so you can go there and you can, you know, basically find the merch and you can find anything Perfect. you want to find and all that stuff. So, and then all the social media platforms I'm on, if you want to connect with me on there too. So yeah. Perfect. And tell listeners where, where they can get your, uh, connect with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm just a rebunked.news, rebunked.news, all the links to all the video platforms, run all the podcast players, and then uh, probably Telegram's probably my favorite spot to send people for social media, t.me forward slash rebunked pod. And then we got a subscribe star too, try to do some premium content there, so. Right on. Well, Ricky, brother, thank you so much, man. Hey, thank you. Enjoy the the rest of your Friday. Enjoy your weekend, and and good luck with everything, and I'm sure we'll talk again in the near future. Totally. Talk soon. Peace. See ya.